Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to another week of La Jaman Latte and hello and welcome if this is your very first time joining us. My name's Nicole and I'm your host. This week I have been doing a lot of fantasizing like all week long and no it's not because this week's episode is about sex. In fact this fantasy is very unsexy. I have been fantasizing about going to a hotel by myself. And okay, I'm sure half of you are like, what the fuck? You're in lockdown and you want to go and spend more time by yourself indoors. But the other half of you who have children or partners working from home are like, yes, that's it. I've put a lot of thought into this fantasy. So it's going to be a weekday when I'm there at a bougie hotel, but one that does lots of work trips because I don't want any FOMO about not being social and being with other people. The hotel has a hairdresser. It's like a real fancy one. So I go there and they probably have to surgically remove my top knot, but I come out with these lush, natural looking Victoria's Secret waves, like Beck Judd style. Then I go shopping by myself, not having to maneuver the shops with a pram. Then I spend the afternoon by the pool with my eyes 100% on the book, not watching a child, making sure they don't drown. Then I get home and I've had such a big day. I order room service and I have the whole king size bed to myself. So I fall asleep with like a burger hanging out of my mouth, watching new episodes of Keeping Up with Kardashians. Then for the very best part, And look, this actually is a little bit sexual for me. (laughs) I get a full night's sleep, like 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. solid, no baby waking me up, no dog licking his peen at 5 a.m. to wake me up. It's amazing. Good fantasy, right? I was really enjoying it too until I realized the hotel, it's just Crown Casino. Work trips, shops, hairdresser. I have been in lockdown for so fucking long. I subconsciously conjured up a fantasy where I escape by myself to the cast. What is wrong with me? Thank God we are finally being let out. Today on the podcast, let's talk about sex, baby. Oh, I can't sing, but that's exactly what we're talking about. It's a whole episode of Brunch Banter with our favorite sexologist, Jasmine Zayner. Jasmine is a qualified and experienced sexologist who supports people Australia-wide with their sexual health and well-being. 
This whole episode is dedicated to the ins and outs, lol, of female pleasure. Jasmine talks about getting out of your head and comfortable with yourself and your body sexually, including different recommendations for masturbation techniques, asking for what you want in the bedroom, and she's got some hot tips for mums getting back into the bedroom after having that baby. Plus, Jasmine shuts down our misconceptions around sex. She's also left us a little gift of her best sex toys and porn recommendations, which we'll publish in the show notes at largearmandlatte.com. Firstly, welcome, Jasmine. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on. That's all right. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. The reason that I wanted to get you on is because a few weeks ago, we did an episode on breaking social taboos. And I went through a list of all these taboos that we need to break. And one of them was female masturbation. And I was specifically talking in comparison to males, how they can talk about it. And in every TV show where there's a teenage boy, it's like a rite of passage where they get the scene where the mum finds their dirty sock, but you never see the female getting her vibrator for a sweet 16th. And I was like, this shouldn't be a taboo. We all do it. So why is it like this? But even as I was talking, I felt really uncomfortable about it, which was the complete antithesis of what I was saying. So as kind of a fuck you to myself, I thought I'll get an expert on and you can tell us all about female pleasure and I'll dedicate a whole episode to it. So I guess then my first question is why is it, so taboo to talk about female masturbation, but for boys, it's totally fine. And it's ridiculous. I 100% agree with you, first of all. Like, we should be able to talk about everyone's pleasure and everyone should be able to masturbate and all of it be socially acceptable. Um, I think it really stems back to, I guess, the conservative belief that sex is purely for reproductive purposes. So male orgasm is often necessary, you know, for reproduction. However, female orgasm just seems obsolete. There's no necessity to have one in order to conceive. So I think it's basically the fact that, you know, male masturbation can result in orgasm and orgasm is necessary to conceive and that's why you have sex, so therefore it's acceptable. Whilst female orgasm is just for pleasure purposes. So I think it's a very old school belief and I think that's where it's kind of stemmed from and we obviously just have society has a, a long way to go. But I think eventually we will get there. It's just it's just going to take a while. Before we even talk about the different kinds of female pleasure, I was talking to a lot of my friends. They were saying they feel a bit prudish or even ashamed when they get into the bedroom. And I, I feel like once you start feeling a little bit prudish, it just gets further and further and you get more comfortable with your partner. So what are some tips for women to open up and feel more confident before they go into the bedroom with themselves or with a partner? So I always say that you need to be sexually confident with yourself before you can be sexually confident with a partner. You need to focus on your own sexuality and being comfortable with that before you can share that experience with your partner. So I think the first thing that I would suggest is grab a little handheld mirror and check out what is going on down there. So a lot of people don't even know what they look like. They kind of go, oh, you know, I get my period and I have sex there, but I don't really know what each part is. I don't know what they do. I don't know how they work. I just know it feels good. 
as confronting as it is might be for some people, grab a hand on hand, hand mirror and just get comfortable with yourself. That would be my first suggestion. Once you're kind of comfortable, you know, with your genitalia, with your, your vulva, with your vagina, then I would say to start exploring yourself sexually. And there's so much, you know, there's so much to learn out there, which we'll obviously, I think, cover in later in this session. There are so many different ways to masturbate. There's so many different ways to receive pleasure. So I always say explore. Don't just kind of do what you're used to or, you know, what you see in porn or however you learned. There's a website called OMG Yes, which I have no affiliation with whatsoever. I just think it's an amazing website. And it, it shows women masturbating and them talking about how they masturbate and their experiences with masturbation. And it's quite graphic in nature, but it's not erotic. So it's quite graphic. It will show you explicitly a woman masturbating and the different techniques and rhythms and motions that they use. And then you practice those and you try them on yourself and see whether you enjoy them or not. So figuring out what you like sexually is probably the next step. Just putting and, that in my notes. <laughs> yeah, omgyes.com. It's great. The next thing, once you kind of figure out what you enjoy sexually and you're comfortable, this is probably the most confronting part for women is I suggest that they actually watch themselves masturbate. What? <laughs> yeah. Set themselves up either in front of like a, a really long mirror or hit the record button on your phone. Like, yeah, you're laughing because it freaks people out. Yes, I'm so <laughs> confronted right now, but I am listening to what you're saying, taking it on board. There's a purpose behind it because what we find is women don't feel comfortable with the facial expressions that they make during sex or the sounds that they make or how their body kind of tenses up or, you know, whatever it is. They're very conscious and they're trying to make themselves look good during sex and, and it's more of a performance rather than experience. So watch yourself, see what you do and start to appreciate how pleasure looks in your body. You've already covered that it's not what you know. You should be exploring different ways that you can pleasure yourself so I feel like with the guy there's one way you just get your hand and you get going but with women there are so many options so what are the different forms of masturbation we should be exploring with ourselves yeah there's it's like unlimited isn't it you just something new every day you're like oh I haven't done that before let me give that a go um it's definitely never ending and I think there is still more to be discovered like I don't think we've discovered every single way to to pleasure ourselves but I think the most common one so obviously the most popular of them all is clitoral stimulation Um, and that can include using your your fingers your hand a vibrator like a suction toy grinding on a pillow using like warming or cooling lube or tingling lube all of those are options for you Uh, the next popular would be your vaginal stimulation so internal so fingers dildos vibrators or honestly anything you can find around the house as long as it's sterilized go for it (laughs) Um, we're resourceful i think women are resourceful if you don't have your vibrator on hand you find something probably the least popular or the most taboo of female masturbation is anal stimulation so that's probably the most taboo and i think a lot of people don't think about doing it like with themselves, they think about, oh, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe I could do anal with my partner, but you don't think about incorporating that into your your masturbation technique. So again, fingers, toys, vibrators, whatever you can find. 
I feel like we're just scratching the surface of this, but yeah. I think a, a good way to start is to do a bit of a 101. Yeah. I have a question about penetration. Is it true yeah. that it's only like one in five women that can come from penetration? You're not far off it. It's current research is showing around 25 to 30% of women can orgasm purely from penetrative sex. So no clitoral stimulation at all. Not a large amount. It's not. So I guess people really shouldn't be feeling bad like they're doing it wrong. They should just focus on other areas. Well, the thing is the clitoris has the majority of the nerve endings. Inside of the vagina, there's actually not that many nerve endings. And the deeper you go, there's kind of less and less nerve endings. So I always say if you're not someone who can orgasm from penetration, you need to be getting your clit involved in sex. You're, you need to either be touching your clitoris yourself, your partner touch your clitoris, you whip out your toys, your vibrators, or in, be in a position where there's grinding happening rather than kind of thrusting and your clitoris isn't getting stimulated. So don't don't feel bad. You're, like If you're in that kind of 70% range who can't, then that's absolutely okay and it makes complete sense. I think that 25 to 30% are just super lucky that that's how that's turned out for them. But everyone else, just get your clit involved and, and you'll love it just as much. You said the deeper you go, the less nerve endings there are. Does that mean that if a guy has a big dick, it doesn't really matter? Yeah. So lengthwise, <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk lengthwise. Um, I know guys always think that, you know, size is important and, and women always want really big penises. But honestly, it doesn't really work like that. Sometimes when a guy's got a really, really long penis, which they will love and think is amazing, they actually go so far to the point that they hit the woman's cervix, which is the opening to the uterus, and hitting your cervix can actually be quite painful. So if you've ever had sex and experienced like a deep pain in cervix, like certain positions, that means they're likely hitting your cervix, which isn't a fun thing. Like it's not an enjoyable pain for most ah so if there are guys listening they should take note that it's not bigger the better no and you know what if you're experiencing that cervical pain you just need to change positions so you're in a position that doesn't allow for such deep penetration this is this brings me to my next question how do you start talking about what you like in the bedroom how do you say this is not a comfortable position for me or tell them what you want without sounding like what they're doing is bad and deflating their ego. Um, I always say positive reinforcement is the best approach. So when your partner is doing something you like, moan louder, sound like, you know, heighten your sounds, say, oh, that really feels good, those kind of things. So it's encouraging for your partner to continue doing what they're doing. If they start doing something that isn't so pleasurable or is painful, you, you don't push through that. You need to be vocal. And the best way to provide that feedback is saying, I really loved it when you did this. And so that's an encouraging, you know, statement to say, let's go back and do this because I really enjoyed it when you did this. Or I really like it when you blah, blah, blah. It's not providing negative feedback on that specific thing that they're doing at that point but it's encouraging them to revert to something that you enjoy a lot more. So yeah. what about when you want to try new and different things? Like you've gone through looking at yourself in the mirror, you've filmed yourself, you're comfortable with your body, you know what you're liking. So how do you ask your partner to introduce things into the bedroom like sex toys or dirty talk? What's the best way to approach those things? I think, so basically what I think is talking about it outside of the best 
the bedroom is the best approach. Don't bring it up in the in the moment when <laughs> you know you're knee deep in the middle of sex and you're like, hey, let's try anal, and they go, ah, what do you mean? And they freak out. <laughs> It kind of ruins the moment. It's best to kind of approach these conversations when you're not in the moment. Bring up sex, you know, when you're having dinner or when you're sitting on the couch in front of the TV. Say, oh, I, you know, I learned this today or I came across this on the internet or, you know, one of my friends mentioned that they do this with their partner. What do you think about that? Do you think it's something you'd want to explore? So that's normally the best approach. When it comes to toys, I guess some men can be a little bit intimidated and think that they're not satisfying their partner if they want to bring toys into the bedroom. So again, bring it up outside of the bedroom, first of all, but talk about it in a way that you want to enhance pleasure rather than experience pleasure. So this implies that you're already enjoying yourself and sex is already really, really pleasurable, but you just want to enhance it. You want to go that next step up. And another suggestion I have is to actually talk about bringing toys in the bedroom that are for men as well. So if you lay it, make it an even, even playing field and go, hey, can we explore toys both for me and for you to enhance our pleasure? It doesn't come across as though you're trying to replace them with something that vibrates. How do men feel about toys for themselves? Yeah, exactly. No, there are actually toys out there for men and it's growing, um, but it's taboo for a lot of men, absolutely. Like It's kind of like the role reversal where masturbation is acceptable for men but not for women, but yet sex toys for women is acceptable but not for men. I was just thinking if I brought that up to my boyfriend, how he would react. But what, like, what are the sex toys for men then? Yeah, so there's lots of like... Um, masturbation um, toys so masturbation sleeves and um, flesh lights and things like that which help to give a different type of sensation when they're either masturbating or you're kind of giving them a hand job or something like that it can provide a really 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 different sensation and there's all these toys out there that have different kind of textures and ridges and things like that to provide something different to just the feeling of a hand it sounds like how would you not want to do this? It sounds like it would make everything so much better. Like all these things you're saying, I'm just thinking, why would anyone have missionary sex when this is available? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about anal then because that's another thing that's really taboo. And I think our listeners are the elder millennial. And I remember us always talking about how people younger than us at school would be real loose with anal. They would do it all the time. But for us, it's definitely much more taboo. So what are your tips if girls and guys want to try anal and where do you start? Anal can be very confronting for a lot of people. And I think a lot of what is confronting is the fact that it, it's potentially going to be a little bit messy. Not a lot, not often, but there is a risk there. So you need to do it with someone you're completely comfortable with. So it's unlikely that you're going to want to do it with a, you know, someone you've met that night and you're having a one-night stand. It's more often that you'll be more comfortable with a long-term partner. So the first thing you need to do is talk about it. So, again, talk about it outside of the bedroom and go, hey, do you want to try this? Is this something you'll be comfortable doing? When you both agree, you're both consenting and you're willing to give it a go, you need to take it really, really slow. Don't be going rush, like rushing in straight into, you know, 
penis and anus sex, like you, you need to start slow. So you need to whoop without the lube because the anus does not self-lubricate at all. So, and spit or saliva is not going to cut it. Spit and saliva dries up really, really quickly. It's, it's pointless. You need to use lubricant that is going to last a longer period of time. Lather on the lube. The person needs to, I guess, explore their partner's, like the rim of the anus. I'm getting very graphic here. I hope you're okay with that. That's so <laughs> fine. All the details. Like I want the listeners to listen to this, go away, come back and DM me a few days later and say, oh, I tried it for the first time. Thanks, Jasmine. <laughs> My pleasure. So, so all the details. All the details done. So, you know, using a finger with lots of lubricant and just massaging around the rim of the anus. And, and try and massage but also trying like a light touch as well and communicate with your partner, find out, you know, whether they're enjoying it, what they like better, things like that. And then you can insert just the tip of the finger and, again, kind of massage around. But it kind of creates a bit of stretching as you're massaging around just, just a little bit inside the anus. It's kind of stretching the opening. So once you're kind of comfortable with like, like your partner's comfortable with that, whoever is receiving the anal, you can start to insert your finger. But only insert your finger if they, they are completely comfortable. You guys need to be talking the entire way. So you need to be communicating throughout it all. And then basically you move up from, you know, one finger to potentially two fingers to then potentially a really small vibrator. Now vibrators are actually been really good when it comes to anal play because Vibrations actually help to relax the muscles because there's kind of vibrations happening. You know, your muscles can't stay tense. So a small vibrator is amazing. Then once you've progressed past a small vibrator, I'd say just up it a notch and continue to up it until you reach the size of a penis. Then when that happens and you're ready to go, you know, full throttle with, with the penis, um, again, reapply the lube. Um, but also go slowly. Like anal is not going to be hard and fast at the beginning. It needs to be slow, gentle, and and talk about how comfortable it is, how far in you're comfortable with it or how far in your partner is comfortable with it. And then only once they're completely comfortable and it's pain-free, then you can kind of you know move up the speed. However, at any point, if it's uncomfortable, say it and stop. Don't push through it again. Like, Try again later or revert back to something smaller, but don't push through pain because that's really not beneficial. Is this also something that happens in one session or do you think you need to build up over time with the fingers and then the vibrator and then the pain? Um, look, it's normally over a few sessions, I imagine, and sometimes I suggest for a woman to explore it themselves during masturbation, like having a small toy and doing it themselves because there's no one else watching, there's no pressure. So incorporating it into masturbation, like we were talking before, and then once you're kind of comfortable, you know, with something being inserted into your anus, then kind of broach the topic of doing it in the bedroom with your partner. What if you're a woman that is just not into pleasure from yourself or someone else, whether it's just because you've got a low sex drive or you've got mental health issues or you're on antidepressants, all of those things can decrease your sex drive. So is there a way to increase it? There is. It can take a bit of work though because, you know, antidepressants absolutely can be a killer of sex drive. Birth control can be a killer of sex drive. Mental health, absolutely. Stresses from work or outside can definitely impact it. But also when, you know, the honeymoon phase of the relationship is over, so which 
is normally anywhere between two months to two years in a relationship. Um, once that kind of phase is over and you kind of realise, you know, you're back to reality, the mystery is over, you know your partner inside out, sex can often become less appealing. What I always talk about with my clients that come in and, and claim that they have a low, low sex drive or them and their partner have mismatched sex drive, I actually talk about the different types of desire. People talk about, I guess, sex drive or libido, which is actually referred to as spontaneous desire. Spontaneous desire is when you kind of you're in the mood for sex, but it, it hasn't been triggered by anything in particular. It's not like you're engaging in any sexual activity or watching porn or anything like that. You're kind of just walking around and you're ready to go. Most people think of that as sex drive or, or um, sex drive or libido. But there's actually a different type of desire, which is really common in women. And it's really common in women because women have lower testosterone levels in their body. So the other type of desire is responsive desire. And responsive desire is when some form of arousal needs to commence first and then you go, oh, now I'm in the mood, now I'm ready to have sex. So spontaneous desire, the desire comes first. And then the arousal follows. With responsive desire, the arousal comes first and then desire follows. So whether that be your partner initiating and you guys start kissing or getting a bit handsy or in the midst of a massage or whatever it is, then you start to go, oh, now I'm kind of in the mood. Let's go. I'm ready to go. So people kind of just assume if they've got responsive desire and it takes them a bit to get going, then they have a low libido. When more so it can be a factor for you guys just have different types of lo- like libido and they're kind of not aligning. I think to kind of bring back your sex drive in a relationship, you need to create a bit of mystery and a bit of anticipation um, because you don't have that anymore. You know exactly what you're going to get, when you're going to get it, and you know kind of what sex is going to be like. There's, there's no surprises. And that can get a bit boring for some people and they start to kind of lose that libido. So what I always say to couples is, and I've definitely stolen this of Esther Carell, if you've ever heard of her, she's a Belgian sexologist, just Google it, she's great. She always says that foreplay begins at the end of sex. So that confuses a lot of people when they say that. So what? As soon as, <laughs> as soon as you have like finish having sex, everything you do between that moment and the next moment that you have sex is foreplay. So everything that you do with your partner, so whether you're kind of you know, watching erotic stuff, you're flirting with each other, you're sending naughty text messages to each other, even just putting aside quality time with your partner, you will start to appreciate your partner more. And that in turn means, you know, when it comes to the the moment of having sex again, you're already halfway there. You're already kind of having fun with your partner, flirting and texting and touching each other and grabbing their ass or whatever it is. You're already kind of halfway there. When you go from barely interacting with your partner and not thinking about sex to them going, hey, do you want to have sex? You're like, oh, gosh, mm, I'm going to do this, this, and this, so probably not. So every, interac- <laughs> every interaction with your partner um, counts towards the next time you have sex. Again, I would also say get masturbating because the more you actually engage in sexual activity and the more orgasms you have, the more you want it again. What we find is if, let's say, you have sex in the first couple of days following sex, you're kind of in the mood for it again. Like it's still on your mind. You can still remember how good it felt at the time. 
And so you're probably going to be more willing and wanting to have sex. However, the longer you leave it, it starts to become a distant memory. So you're like, well, I remember we had sex, but I don't really remember it much and I don't remember the actual pleasure. I can no longer feel that. So then you're kind of switching off. So engaging in sexual activity more frequently will actually help to increase your libido. Is there anything else outside of that? So do you recommend that maybe – so, again, I think this is a taboo thing. When you're in a relationship, is it okay, do you think, to watch porn without your partner. I feel like so many people have issues with their partners watching porn without them. Yeah, people definitely do. I'm all for porn. I'm very supportive of it. I think it's great as long as it's not having a negative impact on your life. Obviously, some people have porn addiction, which is where that's kind of negatively impacting their day-to-day life. So, you know, that's when you need to address it. But if you're just watching it here and there, and you're watching a variety of different kind of types of porn and you're not, you know, obsessing over the one thing and expecting that to play out in the bedroom with your partner. Like if it's just a casual thing, then go for it. I think people with a lower libido, it's good to just surround yourself with sexual content more often. And it's not always to get you aroused, but it's to get it in your mind. And if you're thinking about sex more, you're likely going to want it more. So you can watch porn, um, you can listen to erotic tales, you can read kind of sexual blogs. Honestly, there's there's so much out there now, whether you're a reader, a watcher or a listener, there's sex-related things ready to go. So it doesn't always need to be erotic. Like it can be, actually be educational. So even if you are listening to like an educational podcast about sex or something like that, even though it's not erotic and you're not getting aroused from it, it's still putting sex in your mind. And having sex in your mind is a really good step to kind of developing that desire back. So even if you're listening to this podcast, and I just want to say um, for the listeners that we'll put a bunch of um, porn recommendations, reading recommendations in the show notes so you can get started. What about women who have just had babies? I've I had a baby nine months ago and so I've got a lot of new mother friends and Mm -hmm. it feels like you kind of go back to the beginning because you're you've got this whole new body that you don't particularly love and you're really I guess sensitive about everything your vagina's just been destroyed and you're not confident so I've got a specific question from one of our listeners who wanted to ask about dry vag. So she's finding it a lot harder to get lubricated and she's wondering if that will change when she finishes breastfeeding or if the climate of her vagina is just changed forever. First of all, congratulations on your baby, Nicole. Thank you. (laughs) That is Um, dry vag, so eloquently eloquently put. Um, Is there another word for it? I don't think there's, it's just vaginal dryness, which is the, probably the boring name and the technical yeah, name. Yeah, that sounds proper. Dry vag is fine, we'll run with that. So absolutely, when you're breastfeeding, the estrogen levels in your body drop, so they're quite low. Once you finish breastfeeding, it is highly likely um, and quite common that those estrogen levels will actually increase back to what they were pre-pregnancy. And estrogen helps you to lubricate. So Tell her not to stress. It, it'll be okay once she's finished um, breastfeeding. Everything should kind of return to normal and she should kind of, you know, be as moist as she was before. But if she's very concerned and she's planning to breastfeed for quite a long time moving forward, 
You can go to your GP and they can provide you with like topical estrogen cream that you can use, which doesn't really seep too much into your body to affect anything, but it's just the topical cream you can apply to your vulva. And what about for those brand new mums? So after the first eight weeks or longer, if you've had a Caesar, when you're confident to get back into the bedroom, what you're obviously really, really busy with the baby. You're exhausted all the time. But I feel like if you let it go, then you'll get into what you were talking about before where you just let it go for months and then you forget about what it feels like. So how can new parents stay close to each other and not forget to be intimate and not forget to pleasure themselves and each other when there is a new baby on the scene demanding all of their time? I think taking that step is massive for new mothers and it's pretty scary. And I completely recognize that. So I think the first thing you should do, which is often difficult and easier said than done, but it's just to recognize like your body for the miracle it performed. Like it's amazing what it was capable of, that, you know, it was capable of housing your beautiful little baby in there for nine months, pushing it out or, you know, coming out of your stomach. And now it's continuing all of your time. So recognize your body for what it's been through and appreciate its strength is the first thing. I would also say just to nourish your body. Like don't forget about it. Put a lot of effort into it. Treat it well. Moisturize. Eat healthy food. Do everything, you know, to treat it right is, is the next thing. And again, I think what I was talking about before, like in relate, like relation to sexual confidence, focus on your own sexuality with yourself first before you can then, like, before you bring that into a relationship. So you probably you probably haven't been masturbating either. So focus on getting back onto that, exploring yourself again. Keep in mind, if you have had a vaginal birth, that things may have kind of moved around a little bit, in a sense. Oh, yeah. It is yeah. not the same. <laughs> <laughs> so masturbation and sex actually might feel a little bit different than it used to but there's no saying whether it's going to feel better or worse I have a friend who actually said that you know having a vaginal birth made her feel like everything just kind of fell into place like it didn't it wasn't as pleasurable pre-birth it was kind of things kind of aligned and they're like oh now sex feels actually a little bit better but you need to start re-exploring yourself you need you need to start from scratch and and identify what feels good to the fact you know the same things feel good as they did before you know, are there new things? Are there new sensations? Like start with yourself, be sexually confident. And also one of the issues is is the mother role is not a sexy role for a lot of people. Like It is not. (laughs) Your your hair's up in a bun, you've got no makeup on, you're wearing your dressing gown or your track pants or whatever it is, and, and it's difficult to put in a lot of, I guess, the same amount of effort that you used to in your appearance and feeling good about yourself as you did prior to, to giving birth. So what I say is try and schedule some time to switch that mother role off and bring back your lover role. So if you've got family members or friends or a babysitter that can just look after your child for a couple of hours, spend some time, you know, getting dressed up, putting on your makeup, doing your hair, whatever it is that kind of makes you feel confident about yourself, start doing that. And that will remind you that you're not just a mother. You know, you're a lover, you're a partner, you're so many other things. And then spend time with your partner, dress up, go out on a date, those kind of things. That will help you feel more confident and help you switch off that mother role. Obviously, you're not going to forget about your child whilst you're, you're on your date, but, you know, it reminds you that there's another side of you. 
I think that kind of sounds like common sense because it's the same advice you get just to stay sane when you have a child. Sometimes you need to take 10 minutes for yourself. You need to switch off. You need to put makeup on once in a while. So it just sounds like it's an extension of that. If you want to keep some semblance of a life outside your child, you have to take some time for yourself. Absolutely. And I think another important thing is to don't just jump straight into sex. Like you need to make sure there's just intimacy in your relationship first. Like how is the intimacy, you know, how much time do you spend kissing and cuddling or having a bath or a shower together or whatever it is? Like is that still happening in the relationship? And if it's not, focus on increasing that first before going straight for sex and then work your way up. It's, It's a slow process. Don't, you know, jump in head first. I mean, everyone has advice for you when you have a baby because everyone's had a baby or knows someone that has. But I think the best advice I got, you know, one of the better pieces was hug your partner for 30 seconds each day because it's nothing, but it actually is everything when you've got a newborn. And even just extending the little things, like extending the hug, extending the kiss, like kiss sometimes turns into just a bit of a dry peck and you're done linger for a little bit longer kind of reconnect with your partner in that way because that's probably fallen down as well but everyone's experience is is different so people can give you advice left right and center and their experience might be different from yours though so you know don't feel the need to align to that do what feels right for you so jasmine you wanted to talk to us about some misconceptions because it sounds all very well to do this, but there's some things that you might think are normal, but they're not. So let's talk about those. There's a couple of misconceptions that I would probably like your listeners to be aware of, just when it comes to sex and things like that. Just because this is what I've faced in my sessions with clients is they'll come in and they'll say something and they assume that that's okay and that's how it works and it isn't. So there's definitely some misconceptions. So one of those is women who experience pain during sex. Yes, I hear this a lot. Yeah, often women think that that's okay and that's normal and it will get better. Sex should never be painful um, unless you want it to be, of course, then go for your life. But (laughs) sex should never be painful. So that is a sign that either, you know, something's going on that you need to kind of get checked up and that can be anything. There are a number of sexual dysfunctions that cause pain. There's things like endometriosis, all of those kind of things that can have an impact. Don't push through pain. Don't think that that is okay and you'll get over it. Um, You need to stop and you need to address it. Can Um, it also be mental that's causing the pain? Like if you don't want to be doing it and you're clenching up, is that a common thing? Yeah, super common. Your mental state absolutely has an impact on you. So one one of the things that happens is you're probably not going to become fully aroused, first of all. If you're in your head or you're thinking about not want you don't want to do this or whatever is going on, your body's not going to become fully aroused. On average, just an FYI for those women out there listening, it takes around 20 minutes for a woman to become fully aroused. And that is when they're not in their head. I think that is more for the men listening. Like you can't just roll <laughs> over and expect that it's on. So did you hear that? 20 minutes. You need to spend 20 minutes on us. 20 minutes minimum, I'm going to say minimum. In regards to the psychological aspect, you know, things like anxiety can definitely impact pain during sex. If you're having sex just because you feel obliged to, but not because you want to, that's definitely going to impact. There's a condition called vaginismus. Interesting name, I know. (laughs) 
Sexual dysfunctions just have some very interesting names. But basically what that is is that your your body is, is in defense mode and it's trying to protect you. So what happens is the pelvic floor muscles around your vagina tighten up and it's involuntary tightening. So it's not like you're trying to tighten your, your vaginal muscles to not let your partner in or whatever it is. It's involuntary. Your body is going either I'm not ready for sex, I know this might be uncomfortable or this might be painful or if you've got kind of anxiety around sex and things like that, your body kind of goes into defense mode and kind of locks down in a sense. The best way to think of it is if anyone's tried to like, if I was to, you know, try and put a pen in your eye right now, your eyelid would shut because it's defending itself. Your body's protecting itself. So it shuts your eyelid to protect the eyeball. That's what your vagina is doing. So if you're not ready for sex, you're anxious about it, it's been painful or uncomfortable in the past, often your body can go, no, I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to tighten my pelvic floor muscles so my partner can't get in. And that's actually really, really common. And a lot of women don't, I guess, seek help for things like that until years down the track, years of suffering. How do you deal with something like that if it's not voluntary? How do you fix it? We need to tackle it from like a physical approach, but also a psychological approach. Often we get like a pelvic floor physio involved as well, and they go through different kind of pelvic floor exercises and relaxation um, methods and things like that. So they can work on, you know, the physical aspect and gaining control over your pelvic floor. Most people don't even know what their pelvic floor is and how they contract it and relax it. But if you've ever kind of gone to the bathroom and peed and then stopped midstream that's your pelvic floor muscles tightening and lots of people who are pregnant and giving birth will go see your pelvic floor physios and things like that so you work with a pelvic floor physio to like focus on the physical side and then you can work with a sexologist to focus on the mental side um your brain is the most powerful arousal organ out there like if your brain is not in it you're not going to become aroused so We work on the psychological side, address the anxiety, going through techniques and methods to kind of get you out of your head to help you relax and be in the moment. So it's a two-pronged approach, but it's it's definitely treatable. It's the most treatable sexual dysfunction for women. So physios specialise in pelvic floor. So it's not like you have to go to your regular guy physio with the problem. You can actively seek out one that specializes in pelvic floor and they will be really familiar with the problem and it shouldn't be embarrassing at all I assume yeah absolutely your your normal physio might freak out a little bit if you broach them with this topic um there are are physios out there they're either kind of referred to as women women's physios or pelvic floor physios normally and they are amazing they do an amazing job we actually, the company that I work for actually has an in-house pelvic floor physio, so we work together with that physio. The client comes to see the sexologist and the physio, you know, together and we work through it hand in hand. So they are amazing. They know exactly what's happening. Don't be ashamed. They've encountered your, your issue or your problem multiple times before and they're completely come, um, comfortable with the female body. And, again, we can put these details in the show notes if you're in Melbourne because that's yeah. where jasmine is based what are the other misconceptions we should know about the other one i think that is important is that people think that sex could last a really long time and i think a lot of that yeah i think a lot of that stems from porn it just seems like seems like that guy can maintain their erection and they don't ejaculate for 
you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, however long it is, they can kind of just keep going and going and going. And then there's the main event at the end. Um, That is completely wrong. So the average time between penis and vagina commencing to ejaculation is between five and seven minutes. Like it's not, it's not long. It's not, it's not what people think. It's not even 10 minutes. Obviously you can lengthen it by slowing down or stopping and changing positions and recommencing and all of those things. But five to seven minutes is the average and a guy shouldn't be ashamed that that's how long they're lasting because that's, that's normal. And women don't normally want sex to last hours and hours either. Normally after a period of time, like women start to kind of become a little bit sore or tender in their vagina. So often women kind of like, you know, five to seven minutes is great for them and works perfectly rather than two hours later. So the women need the 20 minutes before, but if the guy, if he has spontaneous desire, so the woman has 20 minutes before, he has five to seven minutes. So it should take that half an hour all up. Is that about average? Yeah, that's about average. And I think that's what a lot of people think. A lot of people who have lower libido, they're like, oh, I just don't have the time. Like, because they don't prioritize sex. They prioritize doing the washing and, you know, cooking dinner or whatever it is, or watching that Netflix show or having a mini nap in the middle of the day, whatever it is. Um, but we don't prioritize sex. If we prioritize it and go, well, hold on, on average, it's going to take like 30 minutes, then that's not a biggie. Like, that's not going to inconvenience my entire day. Like, it's 30 minutes of pleasure, so why not? I think um, I think people don't remember how, how good it feels. And normally what happens is once they have sex and they're kind of on that sex high straight after, they're like, oh, that was great. Why don't I do that more often? But then, you know, a few days down the track, you completely forget about it. So how many times a week should you be having sex oh, with yourself is- or with a partner? <laughs> there, is, there is absolutely no set number. Um it's it's a personal choice but I think it's important not to just have sex with your partner um having sex with yourself like you mentioned is really really important you might not feel up to having you know full-on penetrative sex and putting in that much effort but relaxing and pleasuring yourself is really important so I'm just going to say regularly without putting a number on it both are really important forms of sex and you should you should be doing both of them as frequently as you want, but don't let the masturbation drop as well. I think that's a great answer, actually, because from everything you're saying, it sounds like if you have sex with yourself or your partner just to get a number in, that's when you're not going to enjoy it and you won't want to do it again. So you'll leave it. So regularly sounds spot on as long as you're enjoying it and not doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There are couples out there that don't have sex and they're completely okay with that. So as long as both of you are comfortable with the frequency of sex and the quality of the sex you're having, then that is fine. There's no magical number. Like if neither of you have an interest in sex, don't have sex, that's fine. If you both want to have sex twice a day, go and have sex twice a day, whatever works for you both. It's all about compromise and and making sure you're both satisfied and content. A lot of you asked for vibrator and porn recommendations and Jasmine has 
a lot of those, but we're going to put them in an article in the show notes for you. So head to largearmandlatte.com to check out those as well as the recommendations for the masturbation website, physios, anything else we've mentioned in this episode. Jasmine, thank you so much. I feel so enlightened. I'm going to re-listen to this, write down notes. (laughs) It's been so educational and I'm slightly embarrassed that I'm 30 something and I don't know all this already. So thank you so much. That's all right. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Jasmine is based out of Melbourne, but services clients Australia-wide. For all inquiries and bookings, you can slide into her Instagram DMs at jasmine.zana.sexologist. That's Z-A-H-N-E-R. Thanks for listening to Large Almond Latte. If you loved the podcast, which we assume you do if you got this far, a five-star rating and review would really mean a lot to us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Large Almond Latte Media for more lols and recommendations, also because we put a lot of work into it. To join the weekly podcast conversation, join us in the Facebook group at Large Almond Latte. Don't worry, we're not spammy at all. And for even more low involvement entertainment, head to largearmandlatte.com. There you'll find the show notes, but also heaps of articles to get your pieces around. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.